Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Hunting for mysterious signals from space requires a lot of coordinated effort. Whether it be using radio telescopes scattered across continents to optical telescopes in Hawaii, or even a weather balloon carrying a cosmic ray detector, hunting for strange things in space can often involve collaboration with a lot of researchers across Earth. This week we look at fast radio bursts and cosmic rays and the people that hunt them. Mysterious signals from deep space sounds like the opening of a science fiction movie, and that's perhaps one of the many reasons why stories like this always gather so much attention from the media and the press. They're also a fantastic way for scientists to learn more about some strange phenomena in the universe that hopefully help us understand some phenomena that we thought may exist or could open up whole new areas of inquiry into space and astronomical science. Now, probably one of the most famous radio signals detected from space is, of course, the WOW signal. And that was discovered by astronomer Jeremy Eamon on Ohio State University's Big Ear Radio Telescope all the way back in 1977. Now, they were studying all kinds of radio spectrum and just looking for potentially for signs of extraterrestrial life or just anything unusual in it. And the WOW signal was basically an incredibly strong narrowband radio signal that lasted in a sequence for about 72 seconds. And that's what was observed by Big Ear. Now, that once-off blip occurred and then disappeared. Despite everyone's hunting for it, there was no chance of actually finding any other kind of signal again. And that's a kind of like one of those one-off burst type signals. But there's a whole other type of signals that came emanate from space that we've talked about a few times here on this podcast and that is the fast radio burst or fsb now there's been around 30 or so of these fast radio bursts and we really got good at detecting them since around 2012 and from then on we've actually started to find them pretty frequently but a fast radio burst an frb is a transient radio pulse and they last from a millisecond to just a few milliseconds. So we're talking incredibly short periods of time. And this huge burst of energy, this blip that occurs on a really tight area of the spectrum, and then it just disappears. Now, these fast radio bursts are incredibly interesting because they could be from some interesting things in our universe. Actually, the first fast radio bursts were discovered by Duncan Lorimer and David Nakovic in 2007. And they were just combing through archival pulsar survey data, trying to find pulsars. And they actually found this unusual signal. Now, now what's interesting is that many fast radio bursts have been discovered that aren't just these one-off blips. Some of them are actually repeating fast radio bursts. And that is the most fascinating ones because A, we get to study them more because it's more than a single millisecond or a fraction of a millisecond blip of energy. But it also means that it could be connected to some kind of pulsing thing, which is, again, when the original people were looking, they were actually trying to find pulsars. They instead found something entirely different. Now, there are a couple of different theories as to what a fast radio burst might be. Could be a rapidly rotating neutron star next to a black hole, or it could be something else entirely that we don't understand. But the fact that we have identified some that are repeating, and the fact that we know that some are polarised, which means that some incredibly powerful magnetic field has to be in play. There's not much we do know about fast radio bursts, but we now 
for the first time actually have tried to get closer to a location of a fast radio burst. And that is actually pretty exciting. Now, astronomers have been working together to try to identify these fast radio bursts by using a combination of different telescopes. Now, the original fast radio burst, as I said, was discovered using a pulsar search data all the way back from 2001. And researchers in 2007 were just combing through the old records of the Parkes Radio Telescope, which is in Australia, um, and they found this unusual activity. And so that's what scientists tend to do with these radio bursts. They're just combing through huge data sets of information. But you need lots of information to do this, which means large, multidisciplinary, multi-country teams. And in fact, this recent discovery, which was just published in the January 9th edition of Nature, involved researchers using the European VLBI network, which is eight telescopes which span locations from the United Kingdom all the way across to China. And they all simultaneously were able to observe a repeating fast radio burst known as FRB 180916. Now, what they were able to do, which is particularly fascinating about this specific radio burst, is they were able to pinpoint the location. They had enough telescopes, eight telescopes involved in this network, to identify it, to capture it. It was repeating, so they can also have a better chance of catching multiple blips of it. And using this new technique, very long baseline interferometry, they were able to get a really high resolution location for where this fast radio burst was. Now, why is that important, you might ask? Well, as we talked about before, we don't know a lot about these fast radio bursts, what caused them, or where they even come from. We can point broadly to an area of the universe, but as you know, the universe is incredibly huge, so that's not particularly helpful. But if you can pinpoint the location down a bit, it means that you can turn other telescopes, maybe optical telescopes, onto the task. And that's exactly what the researchers did. They now had this pinpointed location, and so they turned to the Gemini North Telescope in Hawaii, and they tried to take very sensitive and detailed images that show very faint spiral arms of a Milky Way-like galaxy. And in that region is likely the source of this repeating fast radio burst. Now, what's interesting about the location of this fast radio burst is we have located a fast radio burst, the first fast radio burst repeating one discovered, which was 12.11.02. And when we looked at the location for that, it was a very different environment for a repeating fast radio burst, as co-author of the paper, Sharisha Tendulkar, postdoc the researcher at McGill University, outlines. Now, this is pretty interesting because it means that now we have two different locations for these repeating fast radio bursts. The newest one we've discovered, which is commonly called R2, repeating number two, was located in a faint spiral arm of a galaxy like the Milky Way, and it was in a region of space that's sort of like the foundry for stars, a star-forming region. And that's where there's not a lot of dominant established stars, but the formation of new ones. And if you compare that to where the first radio burst 1, R1, was discovered, that was discovered in, all the way across in a dwarf galaxy. Now, this is interesting because now we have two different types of environments for the signal to come from. Now, where exactly is this fast radio burst hanging out and how far away is it? Well, it's around half a billion light years from Earth. Now, that sounds insane and a very, very, very long way away, and you're right. However, it is seven times closer than any other repeating burst that we've discovered. 
and 10 times closer than in a few non-repeating bursts that was being discovered. So that means that this one is much closer, and much closer means a chance to detect other types of emissions. So what's interesting about these fast radio bursts is we can only see and measure the stuff that we know how to measure. That's always a problem in physics and any other type of measurement science. If we don't know how to measure it, or we don't think to measure it, or we don't have equipment that is capable of measuring it, then we may miss the whole picture. It's like watching a TV show without the sound on. If you didn't know that sound was an option, you might just continue watching and try to interpret what's going on, but miss the full picture of the dialogue. And this is the same thing that scientists are always running up against. But the possibility here is that since this one is so much closer, it means that other emissions such as X-ray or visible light could possibly be detected. And that's what lead research from McGill University, Victoria Caspi, is trying to do. Because if they did that, it would be hugely constraining for the models. And when they say hugely constraining, that's actually really good. Because instead of having open-ended possibilities of what could be causing this radio source, now we actually know, no, no, it has to be something that could produce these other signals that we've got. And that's the great part about this piece of particular data, is that now by knowing a location and being able to turn a telescope to it to collect all other kinds of data, we can actually better understand this strange phenomenon. Now, do we know what it is? No. Do we have a better idea of what it might be? Yes. And do we know where it is? Yes. More or less for a certain large swath of the universe. But what they've narrowed down to, to put in one way, is quite surprising, because they narrow down this fast radio burst to a region of space approximately seven light years across. That might seem giant to you, but it's comparable to someone standing here on Earth and being able to see someone on the moon, an individual person on the moon from standing here on Earth. So when you look at it from that perspective, what these researchers have done using a whole bunch of telescopes with thousands of antennas, lots of collaborators working from across the world, it's fascinating to think about how these large projects get done and how they're able to achieve some pretty amazing things. Now, 50 scientists were involved in this one collaboration of CHIME FRB, which is basically the CHIME project's fast radio burst collaboration. It involves universities from McGill, Toronto, Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics, and a whole bunch of other foundations from across the world. And it's these large projects which are incredibly important for advancing our understanding of science. And it doesn't involve on a single genius effort, but rather many geniuses all working together. That is the true model for science on these large questions, is this huge multidisciplinary, multi-university, multi-country collaboration. And this was just published in the journal Nature. to large collaborations detecting another type of strange emission from space. Now there's nothing stranger than cosmic rays, and these are high energy protons or atomic nuclei which move at nearly the speed of light. They germinate normally from the sun or from stars outside our solar system or even distant galaxies. These super high energy protons bombard the Earth's atmosphere, and when they do they produce showers of secondary particles. 
Now, sometimes they can even reach the surface where they can be detected, but a lot of the times they don't. So how do you study something that sort of shatters upon impact on our atmosphere? Well, if you're like the researchers from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, California Institute of Technology and JPL, even the University of Missouri, and of course, Washington University in St. Louis, well, you get yourself a tiger, but not just any tiger, a super tiger, a super trans iron galactic element recorder. And you get this super tiger instrument and you put it on a balloon and launch it above Antarctica and let it sit there flying around, observing data, collecting all these cosmic ray impacts day upon day for day upon day, spiraling around the Antarctic. And that's exactly what they have just started another process of. See, the first launch took a very long time to get this balloon up there, all the way back in 2012-13. But that balloon managed to fly around Antarctica for 55 days, collecting all kinds of fascinating data. And that's pretty amazing to think about. A scientific balloon carrying all kinds of complicated instruments to detect some of the strangest high-energy particles in the universe for days upon days above Antarctica. And after a launch in their oh, third season attempt to get it up into the sky, Super Tiger 2 was finally launched. It took three different Antarctic seasons and 19 launch attempts. Two launches and one recovery of the Super Tiger from a crevasse they finally managed to get it to be high enough above Antarctica to actually start collecting useful scientific data. And that is a pretty amazing thing to think about. Now, it floats inside the currents of the jet stream around the Antarctic stratosphere. And this makes it very difficult for them to sort of plan their journey, but also limits how long it can stay up. For example, in 2012-13, they've got pretty lucky because the wind pattern was enough to sort of spiral around Antarctica for a very long time. Whereas this year, they're not going to last much more than probably around 25 days. And that's because of the wind patterns. Now, this Super Tiger balloon is also carrying a lot of other experiments, such as a Gamma Ray Explorer, another one that sort of captures stratospheric air data for analysis of the atmosphere in the stratosphere above Antarctica. Now, what do you do when you're monitoring this balloon carrying a very expensive piece of complicated equipment to monitor high-energy particles? Well... There needs to be people out on their ice. They're tracking this balloon as it flies around and circles all of Antarctica in a big spiral pattern. They you know, need to track this balloon, make sure it doesn't get lost, make sure it doesn't land, and also analyze the data that it produced. Now, what are they actually trying to measure with this tiger? Well, the hints in the name. Now, galactic cosmic rays caused by supernova can have pretty heavy elements involved in them. And Basically, this particular Tiger instrument is trying to find atoms between iron, which is number 26, and zirconium, which is number 40. And these heavier elements are pretty rare in galactic cosmic rays, and they're difficult to measure with large detectors. But they're actually very important because they can help us understand the composition of a star as it's formed and as it explodes. So by studying the, I guess, the remnants, these crumbs from a supernova as they bombard on our atmosphere, we actually get a good insight into the chemistry and the makeup of stars, as well as the makeup of supernova. It's also a way to actually get material, matter, from all the way from another star, another solar system. To think about it, in another word, this is our one of our few chances to actually get information about material, matter, things from far, far away, potentially even in a galaxy far away. And this is effectively a way to visit or let it come to us and capture in our hands some long-distance travellers from outside the solar systems. So despite it being here on Earth, it's actually helping us shed light on events happening well outside our solar system and across the galaxy. 
Now, there are a whole bunch of different instruments involved in the Tiger probe itself to try and measure different types of radiation, to break down the particle that's hitting it, measure its kinetic energy, and measure its number of other different properties. And that is a pretty important thing to do. And it's quite a complicated piece of equipment. So it's going to take some time to collect all this data and then to pour through it and analyze. But it's one of the interesting missions because a balloon observatory is a lot cheaper than a satellite. It can also be expanded and changed and relaunched if you want to redevelop the measurements themselves. And it can be easily tracked over a long period of time. But, you know, you need to go to some exciting places like Antarctica to get it to work well. This is some great research. That's a huge collaboration but across universities that will hopefully be publishing some exciting data later in the year. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From hunting cosmic rays with a weather balloon above Antarctica and to trying to tack down the signal of this fast-repeating radio burst from galaxies far away. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.